Hello, and welcome to Footnoting History. I'm Lucy, and today I'll be moving beyond histories of conquest and myths of sacrifice to talk about how the Aztecs used medicine and what they believed about healing. Before I get started on medical traditions and beliefs about the significance of the body, a note on names. The people who consolidated power in what is now Mexico from the 14th to 16th centuries are the Aztec, one of the Mexica peoples. The anglicized pronunciation is Aztec. I'll be attempting to give it the Nahuatl pronunciation of Aztec, though I may slip up occasionally. For those looking for a new hobby, Nahuatl is actually much more phonetic than English, so the pronunciation is fairly easy to pick up, though old habits are hard to break. There's a link to a free online Nahuatl course in the bibliography if you're interested in exploring. Okay, now that that's settled, what about medicine and healing in a civilization so famous for effective conquest and ritual sacrifice? The Aztecs managed to consolidate power over multiple city-states in Central America and rule over an empire that lasted about as long as the United States has to date. Recent archaeological discoveries, as well as changing methodologies, have drastically changed what we quote-unquote know about the Aztecs in the last couple of decades, and this seems like a process that is likely to continue. So we live in exciting times in Aztec research. When I asked a classroom of college students to tell me what they knew about the Aztecs, I overwhelmingly got two answers. One was that they practiced human sacrifice. The second was that they had death whistles, skull-shaped whistles that created a scream that could kill by sound alone. As you may suspect, the latter, despite the YouTube results you can find for it, is entirely a myth. Human sacrifice, on the other hand, was at the center of Aztec religious and political life, in ways that have always captured the imagination of outside observers. For the Aztec civilization, the body was extremely significant. The body could be a conduit for the influence of nature or the divine. It was both vulnerable and extremely powerful. So moving away from sensationalism, I'd like to look at how Aztec beliefs in the significance of the body were reflected in their uses of medicine and their practices of healing. In Aztec belief, the body was at the beginning of the universe itself. The creation deity created itself, or themselves, Ometecutli and Ometiwatl, two lord and two lady. They then gave birth to the gods of the cardinal directions, so we see the bodily processes of generation and procreation as immensely significant, which would be reflected in the medical religious rituals of Aztec birth practices. Eventually, these four gods in turn made war against a sea monster by literally pulling her body apart, and from her body came the world. But what really made the world what it was, according to the Aztecs, was nothing less than auto-sacrifice. The god Quetzalcoatl descended to the dead to bring up bones, from which were created the first humans. And the sun god would have been too weak to cross the sky if the other gods had not given their blood for his strength, a sacrifice that would be echoed in the rituals of Aztec priests, wounding themselves with the magaythorn. This also speaks to the importance of blood. In Aztec belief, 
Blood was the primary carrier of tonali, a person's heat or life force. I know, going back to the beginning of the universe itself is a lot for a narrative about a culture that flourished in the 14th and 15th centuries. But these religious narratives help us to understand both what the Aztecs did in religious and medical ceremonies and why they did it. You may also be wondering why I'm talking so much about religion in a podcast episode on medical history. This is because medicine is not an absolute, immovable category. What is understood as medicinal practice varies across cultures and, of course, across history. And the model of medicine that's been dominant in the Western world for roughly the last three centuries is, in the grand scheme of things, anomalous. From the Greeks and Romans onwards, in separate traditions from India to China to the Islamic world, it is much more common to find medicine intimately connected to beliefs about religion and magic than isolated from it, and we find such intricate connections in Aztec society as well. This was, of course, a worldview very different from that of the Spanish, who wrote down a great deal about what they observed in the cultures they encountered, and in some cases tried to eradicate, in the Mexican peninsula. In the 1570s, a very judgmental Dominican friar wrote dismissively of Aztec medical beliefs, Is there a man of average intelligence in our Spanish nation willing to believe that by sucking the hair of the head with the mouth, a headache will disappear? All of this is of the lowest, poorest, and most abominable human judgment. End quote. As someone who studies pre-modern medicine, I'm used to hearing such contemptuous opinions. But even without taking Aztec beliefs about the body and its illnesses into account, Reflecting on this practice can lead us to noticing, for instance, how light tugging on the hair can relieve pressure headaches. And not all observers of Aztec medicine and healing were so dismissive. In the same decade that the grouchy Dominican wrote his screed, the personal physician to King Philip II of Spain compiled a massive catalogue of medicinal plants in what had been the Aztec Empire, was then known as New Spain, and is now Mexico. The plants that provided ingredients for medicine were seen as having important and sacred power. And gardens, like the famous one of Huastepec, were used for ritual purposes. The Spaniards who beheld this vast garden complex, seven miles in circumference, described it as the largest and most beautiful and most refreshing that has ever been seen. Plants themselves could be used as amulets for travelers, as offerings to the gods, and in religious and political rituals. These uses, no less than the plants' strictly medicinal uses, were always connected to the plants' essential properties. The aromatic crow flower, for instance, Cacaloshochitl, was used for stomach diseases and as a remedy for those suffering from shock. Branches of the plant might be offered ceremonially to governors or other important people. The blossom known as heart flower, was, as you might have guessed, used in treating heart conditions. Its unopened bud strongly resembled the human heart, which Aztec belief held to be the center of a person's spirit, or teolia. 
While similar to Tonalli, which participated in the life force of all things, Teolia was individual to each person. Unsurprisingly, the heart flower was also used in protective amulets. Vanilla might be used as an amenagogue, as a cure for speeding blood, an antidote to animal poison, or in chocolate to enhance its taste. The famous drinking chocolate of the Aztecs, for which the world owes a debt, really, was itself used as a stimulant and aphrodisiac, and limited to the use of the nobility. All such plants were part of a thriving culture of medical provision. Cortes described the Tlatelolco market as containing an entire street where there are all manner of roots and medicinal plants that are found in the land. Cortes described the shopkeepers there as herb sellers. They may also have been medical practitioners of a kind. Though not professional physicians in the strict sense, they would certainly have had knowledge of plants and their uses. This specialized knowledge, moreover, continued to be handed down, orally and practically, despite the violence of Spain's imperial takeover. Such continuities, of course, are impossible to quantify. Though the amount available to us through multilingual texts is remarkable, this knowledge remains a fraction of the whole. And as many scholars have noted, if we are to study and take seriously indigenous knowledge of the kind often scoffed at, if not outright suppressed by those who colonized such cultures, it requires looking at multiple ways of preserving knowledge. So while we may not have any source to tell us this in so many words, we can infer that the herb sellers observed by Cortes, like modern yerberas and curanderos, had specialized knowledge of the products they sold, and of how they might be employed in treating illness. For the Aztecs, the regulation of diet was important in both prevention and cure of illness. Herbal teas are one famous example. We have both the testimony of written records for this, and the pictorial evidence from manuscripts in which sad-eyed patients clutch steaming bowls, eager to experience their effects. Much of what we know of Aztec medicine does come from such manuscripts. Bernardino de Sahagún was a Franciscan friar who oversaw a team of Aztec authors in a bilingual work which he called A General History of the Things of New Spain. A remarkably complex text, this work was commissioned by the Crown of Spain, seeking to learn about, and thus better control, its new subjects. But it was created with the work of multilingual Aztec authors, instrumental in writing the Nahuatl text, which is the source of the Spanish version, and with the knowledge of village elders, sadly not named, identified by Sahagún only as respondents. This history, now known as the Florentine Codex, contained so much information about Aztec belief and practice that it was eventually condemned by ecclesiastical authorities, viewed as potentially dangerous in teaching people about supposedly sacrilegious practices. Friar Sahagún's Nahua informants described the qualities of a good physician as follows. The true doctor, he is a wise man. He imparts life. A tried specialist, he has worked with herbs, stones, trees, and roots. His remedies have been tested. He examines, he experiments, he alleviates sickness. He massages aches and sets broken bones. He administers purges and potions. He bleeds his patients, he cuts and he sews the wound. 
He brings about reactions. He stanches the bleeding with ashes. This is a remarkably complex list, as well as a remarkably extensive one, that gives us a cross-section of both what Aztec physicians did and how their profession was conceptualized. As we have seen, and as this poem illustrates, Aztec beliefs about the nature of the body and the universe meant that physical and spiritual healing and care were often interconnected. And even when they weren't explicitly so, the same substances, like the trigam olli, might be used for mo both medical and religious purposes, as recorded in a dictionary of the Nahuatl language created in 1571. Images as well as texts were a vital form of communication in Aztec culture, through pictogram writing, glyphs, and images like the one that accompanies this podcast, from the Codex Maliabekiano. The Codex Maliabekiano is itself a pictorial codex, a visual encyclopedia of sorts, of Aztec religious ritual and belief. I chose this particular image because it shows the human body in so many different ways, and looking at representations of the body can be a great way of investigating how Aztec culture understood the human body, its significance, and its needs. Notably, in temple murals depicting religious rituals, it is often the most significant remains of a sacrifice alone that are represented. Hearts, skulls, bones, and hands, key elements of the human body, representing not only the body, but the life force itself. The image accompanying this podcast shows consultation with a medical professional, with symbols indicating speech, a patient taking medicine, and a steam bath. The Aztec steam bath, the Temascal, has much in common with the North American lodges of the Navajo and the Sioux, but the Temascal, in contrast, were permanent structures and might be part of whole complexes with temple spaces, although the most common form was the basic beehive shape you see here. According to the authors of the Florentine Codex, such baths were used in the treatment of everything from fractured bones to skin diseases. While this may seem surprising, the baths would have helped in the management of many skin conditions such as psoriasis, and would at the very least have provided pain relief for the incurable conditions Sahagun mentions. For broken bones, heat would have relaxed muscle tissues and encouraged the reformation of bone in the later stages of healing. We know from archaeological evidence, as well as textual evidence like the poem I read, that the Aztecs practiced bone setting. When treating such fractures, physicians would recite the following verses. Well now, O quail, O one from the place of disturbance, what harm are you doing to the bone from the land of the dead, which you have broken, which you have smashed? I am the priest. I am the plumed serpent. I go to the land of the dead. There I shall snatch up the bone of the land of the dead. They have sinned. The priests, the dust birds, they have shattered something. They have broken something. But now we shall glue it. We shall heal it. Obviously, such sources raise questions as well as answering them, but they speak not only to the technical skill of Aztec medical professionals, but also to the complex religious, emotional, and psychological support they provided, as well as direct medical care. 
Another fascinating source is the Codex de la Cruz Bariano, a 1552 herbal that draws on Hippocratic and Galenic medicine from the Greek world, as well as indigenous traditions. Originally written by Martin de la Cruz, an Aztec doctor, it's in a Latin that incorporates many indigenous words, and all its botanical illustrations are labeled with the plant's Nahuatl names. I say originally written because the version that survives is a translation from Nahuatl, made by an Aztec professor at the College of Santa Cruz. The first page tells us that the author, Martin de la Cruz, was an indigenous doctor from the College of Santa Cruz, who did not complete any professional studies, but rather was an expert by way of pure experience. This poignant and impressive mini-bio is indicative of how European standards of professionalization were increasingly prioritized, but also not exclusive. De la Cruz himself, in his introduction, says that he has written, quote, this book of Indian herbs and medicine, unquote, at the request of the Spanish viceroy, a friend of his. The herbal itself was presented, along with a shipment of botanical specimens, to Philip II of Spain, and became part of the king's personal library. Incidentally, it's now back home in Mexico, at the National Library of Anthropology and History. It was part of the Vatican Library and was repatriated by Pope John Paul II in the early 90s. De La Cruz's work, while it draws on the classical Greek and Roman traditions of humoral theory, which he would have known as transmitted by the Spanish, is also reflective of Aztec medical culture and Aztec ways of communicating knowledge. The images of plants contained within the Codex follow European models, but beneath the plants, in their root systems, are Nahuatl glyphs that indicate the soil type in which these plants grew. Aztec medicine, as I've aimed to show, was an extraordinarily rich tradition. In many cases, we know of it filtered through foreign and hostile sources, and of course, the destruction of sources and displacement of people that followed the Spanish conquest means that a great deal of knowledge may be unrecoverable. But the Nahuatl, Spanish, and bicultural sources we do have testify to a complex medical marketplace and complex medical culture. The botanical diversity of the vast Aztec empire meant that marketplaces could be filled with plants of all kinds, distributed by specialists knowledgeable in their many uses. The stereotype of the Aztecs is of a culture obsessed with violence, obsessed even with death, to say nothing of mythical death whistles. But I think it would be much more accurate to speak of the Aztecs as a culture preoccupied with health of the individual and of society. Sacrifice and auto-sacrifice, and yes, even human sacrifice, were part of maintaining that collective social health. But those are sensational episodes, though inspired by sophisticated Aztec beliefs about the human body and about the nature of the universe, they were treated by Spanish observers as typical of a violent and savage civilization, one that needed to be disciplined as it had been conquered. But authors like Martin de la Cruz and the scribes and elders who contributed to the Florentine Codex give us a very different picture. These authors and their works show us medical professionals, most of them experts by pure experience, knowledgeable about the body and the universe to which it was connected, and dedicated to maintaining the health of them both.
Interested in owning some Footnoting History merch? You can find out more through our shop link at www.footnotinghistory.com. Want to support the show and keep it open access? Our Patreon is at patreon.com forward slash footnoting underscore history. You can also follow us on Twitter at History Footnote or Facebook and Instagram as Footnoting History. And of course, the best stories are always in the footnotes. <laughs>